Um, when we did the, uh, the two-part little mini-series on, on the book of Revelation, I was trying to make it very simple for you. I broke it down. I told you there was three basic parts to the book of Revelation. I told you Revelation 1, we get an incredible vision of Yeshua. Revelation 2 and 3, we get his, his letters, not John's, but his letters written to these seven congregations, literal congregations, which speaks to us about our modern-day body of Messiah. And then, of course, 4 and 5, we get a vision of the throne of God. And then 6 to 19, it's the seven-year tribulation period. It's not that difficult. And 20, 21, 22 is the return of Messiah, the millennial reign, the great white throne judgment, and the eternal state. It, it, and I know I make it simple because that's what I'm trying to do for you. I'm trying to not complicate it because when you, when you get bogged down in the bits and bytes of the book of Revelation, you are going to get lost in it, and you're going to miss uh, the main point. Um, what I tried to display to you that for the righteous, which is, which is you guys, the book of Revelation is wonderful to read. Um, and I, I highlighted the blessings, all the blessings throughout Revelation. I highlighted the blessings to the, to the churches. I highlighted the blessings to the righteous all throughout. And I gave you every blessing there was in the book of Revelation. And it was supposed to be um, incredibly encouraging to you. And, and I'm sure it was because thousands and thousands of people watched and sent it around. Okay. With that being said, the timing of that was right when the coronavirus hit. And I think it just hit people very hard. People are thinking, this is the end days. This is apocalyptic. What am I going to do? Everybody's going to die. You know, we always go to the worst, usually. Um, and so God gave something that was very encouraging. Now, uh, people are going out. They're out and about. The restaurants are back open. I was just on a plane. Uh, there's still some precautions that some people are taking. Some are not. Are there going to be more cases? Yes. Will there be more deaths? Yes, of course. As we, as we come back together. Um, but the death rate has gone way down. Uh, the strain has weakened. But with that being said, I think this message and next week's message, as far as I can understand from the, from the throne of God, is very important as you guys kind of return because there's a potential that what we were supposed to learn from corona, we didn't learn. And it's not how to fight a virus. It's not how to wash and how to wear a mask, and how to social distance. We knew that a long time ago. That's nothing new in the medical world. And are, are the, is there going to be a company that's going to come out with a vaccine? Of course there's going to be, because there's $100 billion at stake to make. And I don't want to even get into that. I don't even want to talk about the spiritual implications, because um, I think too many people spend so much time on, on um, things of conspiracy that they're not even taking care of the, the obvious in their life with the Lord. Um, so now I'm going to talk to you about these, these edict letters. An edict letter is a letter from a sovereign ruler, a supreme ruler. Uh, these are royal letters, and they're, they're from Messiah. That's the amazing thing. These are not letters that, like the letter to, to Corinth or Colossae, even though, of course, they're Holy Spirit-inspired. These are letters directly from Yeshua himself, which you've got to say, wow, there must be something in these letters. Now, what you're going to find over the next two weeks, if you're honest with yourself, I have nothing to do with that. Nothing. Never did, never will. I know some of you think, wow, Rabbi, you were talking right to me. You think I'm talking right to you? You think any man has that ability? Um, okay, no man has that ability except for one. 
Okay, if the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody and you go, wow, you were speaking directly to me. I'm not speaking directly to anybody. Maybe the Lord is speaking directly to you. And I say maybe, it's really almost sarcastically rhetorical. Of course he is. Of course he knows what's going on in your life. And so as we share from this bima, from this podium, of course there's going to be things that if you're listening carefully are relating right to you in your life. And it would behoove you to address them. It would really behoove you to address them. Now, what you're going to find over these next two weeks, and I'm just going to, these letters that Yeshua wrote are very short, very short. They're just a few lines, but in those lines is gold. And in those lines is usually he speaks, he starts by saying who the author is, him. He wants everybody to know it's me who's writing these. These are two literal congregations. These aren't, there's nothing, there's nothing to spiritualize. Okay, take these literal, these are to literal congregations. And what you're going to find is you're going to find yourself in one or maybe all of them. You're going to find yourself at least in one. You're not going to walk away from this and go, yeah, I, I, there's nothing I can glean from this. I can't relate to this. No, at least in one. Some are going to find themselves in all seven and anything in between. Okay, and I broke it down in a way where it's very, very simple. Yeshua gives a commendation. Then he gives what's known as a rebuke. Then he gives a solution and a warning and ends with a blessing. It's, it's stunning that he can do that in just a few lines. And only he can. That's how powerful his words were. That's the kind of authority he carried. It was just, I, I'm amazed. I worship him for who he is, but also for what he did and what he's able to do. Okay, the seven churches, and when I say churches, I'm not speaking about a specific um, denomination, okay? You know me by now. I don't even relate to Messianic Judaism per se because Messianic Judaism is not a denomination. If you think you're part of a denomination, you're grossly misinformed. And if you call yourself a Messianic Jew and you're not biologically Jewish, that's weird too. Just saying, okay? And, and just because your great-grandfather, you found the talit that he owned, that doesn't mean he was Jewish, okay? Okay? No more than if I go, you know, if, if a Gentile goes to Israel and buys a shofar, and then two generations later, you find, you, you know, your grandfather's shofar. It doesn't mean he was Jewish, and many bought a shofar, okay? You try to be more first century-like. Try to just be like the originals, you know? Stick with that. Now, there is a messianic lifestyle, but I'd like to think the messianic lifestyle is a biblical lifestyle. But when you get too caught up in the Judaism part, then it becomes almost not a biblical lifestyle. It becomes something man-made that a lot of, I think, denominations have fallen prey to. Do they keep what's most important most important? Yes. Yes. Salvation is most important. The greatest apostle practically that ever lived said, I've given to you, I've submitted to you what's most important, that Yeshua died, was buried, that he rose and ascended is coming back. That's what's most important. Are there other important things? Yes. He didn't say, I've given to you what's the only importance. There's some people that just, that's all they got. And they have nothing else in their important column. No, there's a lot of things that are important. That's most important. So you start with that. That's your foundation. So when I say a church or the church, when I say the church, just so you know a definition of terms, that's the body of Messiah. Some people won't say church. <sighs> it's, it's a word. It's okay. It's the body of Messiah. But people get confused when you say church. You think you're talking about a specific church. So the seven churches 
that are, that are referred to in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are seven literal congregations in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. That's its locale. That's its locale. <clears throat> and it was at the time that John the Apostle was writing the book of Revelation. They were around at that time. Okay? A couple of them you can read about in other places. Ephesus, you can read about Ephesus. Thyatira, you can read about in the book of Acts. Ephesus in the book of Acts. Laodicea, where do you find that? Thinking too hard. Colossians. Colossians. It's right there. Last chapter. So it's, it, these are literal congregations, guys. Don't spiritualize. Be very careful. Okay? Some of you get caught up in the spiritualization and you miss the literal. We're supposed to look at the Bible literally. It's one of the five principles in hermeneutics, in identifying and interpreting what God is saying in his word. Be careful. Be very careful because it's quite dangerous because you can fall prey to what's called Gnosticism, which the Lord rebuked majorly because they thought they had some secret knowledge. People want to spiritualize because if you think you have secret knowledge, you're elite. You're better than me. And all eliticism is, is pride, the father of all sins. Hear me, okay? I'm not going to be here forever, all right? They keep finding lesions. Listen to me. That sounds arrogant, I know. But trust me, okay? I'm at this every day for 31 years. Not preaching, every day. Be careful. I've been around the whole world. Be careful of spiritualization. Do I, do I hear from God? And do I, are there spiritual aspects of things that I see in the world and things that happen every day? Yes, but they always have to have their foundational root in the word of God. There has to be a precedence in the word of God. The word of God is complete, totally complete. Now, though they were literal congregations at that time, and we're not going to get through, I know I, I sent out all these scriptures to you, we're not going to get through them. Of course not. But I sent them out because now you have something to study. So when we get together next time, you'll hopefully be debriefed in your study. Hopefully. Though they were literal congregations in that time, there is spiritual significance, not spiritualization, spiritual significance for congregations and believers today, meaning lessons to be learned. Beautiful, magnificent, powerful lessons to be learned. The first purpose of the letters was to communicate with the literal congregations and meet their needs at that time. Purpose number one, not for our spiritual lessons, that's not. Purpose number one, literally, was these were letters written by Yeshua to the heads of those congregations. And they were to read his letter to the congregation, okay? That's the number one purpose. There's a second purpose. There's three purposes to these. A second purpose is to reveal seven different types of individuals or congregations throughout history and instruct them in God's truth. That we can relate to. That's for us. The letters were directly for them, just like Corinth. Those letters were for them, but we can glean things from it, right? There's certain things that we can't relate to, okay? Are you having intercourse with your mother-in-law or your stepmom? No, so you can't really relate to that. But if somebody is, we need to address it, right? We need to address it. So these were literal letters. That's purpose number one for a literal congregation at that time, specific. Then there's lessons we can glean from them, which is more or less the entire Bible, right? Lessons we can glean from. There's a third possible purpose, and this is where spiritualization comes in, okay? Pay attention. There's a third purpose, okay? It's to use the seven churches to foreshadow seven 
different periods in the history of Bali Messiah. Has anybody heard that? Okay, did you buy it? A little bit. You probably bought it when you first heard it, because why? It's cool. It's cool, right? And we love cool. We don't, we don't want to just obey the laws of God. Listen to me. All the problems you're seeing out there, not in here, out there, it's all because people are rebellious to the laws of God. That's, listen to me, guys. Listen, listen good. There is no man or group of men that will fix the issue out there. Okay? Obama couldn't fix it. Trump can't fix it. And whoever else is coming is not going to fix it. There's only one that can fix it. And it's fixed one heart at a time. If you're born again, you become the solution, no longer the problem. Okay? Know this. Know this. And yes, it sounds boring. We, does it, Rabbi, does it all come down to just obeying the laws of God? Y- yes. Oh, you asking me? I wasn't sure. Yes. Yes. Why do you think God gave us laws? You've raised children. Did you give them laws? Well, I don't like to call it laws. Okay, then don't call it laws. Teachings. Whatever you're comfortable with. It's semantics to me. It doesn't matter. God's Torah is his teachings. It's his way. It's his way to protect us, to bring us peace and prosperity and protection. And the minute you come out of that realm of protection, the enemy has access to your life. When you stay in that protection, you say to the enemy, access denied. Can anybody do it all the time? No. No. Pal, look at me. You're a young kid. No. No, you will not. Because until Yeshua comes, you go. You will have a sin nature. But can, you, can we work on it? Yes. Yes. I don't want you to sit here you know, and think, man, I've got a lot of issues. And so do I. So do I. I'll be 62 years old, still have issues. Yep, not proud of them necessarily. Working on them. But if you don't even work on them, if you just accept it, well, this is the way it is. Uh, I don't agree with that. It's just not the way it is. No, it's not. But if you also act, and I've met my fair share of these, that everything in your life is good because you're so obedient. I hear, oh, we're Torah observant. Bull crap. That'll be the day you're totally Torah observant. You're Yeshua? Well, what should I say, Rabbi? Say you're trying to be Torah observant, right? Be honest. You know, I eat perfectly all the time. You do? So this third possible purpose, and we're not going to get far, are we? Nah, nah. And you know what the problem is? We only have two weeks because... That third week, I'm not going to be here. Oh, well. So I said the third purpose, the first purpose is specifically to these congregations. The second purpose is things we can relate to. The third purpose is this chronology, if you will. Okay? Now, let me show you the chronology for a minute. This is what they'll tell you, basically. Basically. They won't tell you that other stuff, but they'll tell you Ephesus is the church of the first century. Ephesus was praiseworthy, but they started to lose their first love, okay? And you've heard a gazillion songs sung about it, right? Those coming out of your ears. Smyrna is the church from the 1st to the 4th century. They suffered Roman persecution, but remained faithful, okay? Pergamum was the church from the 4th to the 5th century. They were the Constantinian church, the church of tolerance, Thyatira, it's Tyra, not Tyra. Tyra was the church from the 6th to the 15th century. This was when Catholicism was birthed, and this was the compromising church. A lot of man-made rules. Sardis was the church from the 16th to the 17th century. This was post-Reformation, the greatest Reformation we had, post-Reformation. They started to fall asleep, so she's the sleeping church. 
Philadelphia was the church from the 18th to the 19th century. This is the church that saw massive revivals, the first and second great awakenings. This was the opportunistic church. And Laodicea, it's Odyssea, believe it or not. Most people say Laodicea, but it's Laodicea. The church of the 20th to the 21st century. This is the tolerant, liberal, apathetic, complacent church. This is the last day's church. Now, if I shared this with you, I know you'd be like, wow, definitely, yeah, I see it. But this is, guys, the problem with this view, even though it, 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 it strokes you, it does, right? Be honest. It's like some things about Judaism. It's like some things about Kabbalah. It's so cool. It's just so cool that it feeds your spiritual ego a little bit. I'm just being very honest. But the problem with this view is that each of the seven churches describes issues that could fit the church in any time in its history. You hear? This is very important. I know Darren got it. I know some other people got it, but maybe you didn't get it because you're too busy. Pay attention, okay? Pay attention. I'm a teacher. There's a classroom. Be mature, all right? This is very important. The problem is that the seven churches describe issues that could fit the church in any time in history. In other words, you didn't just lose your first love in the first century. You didn't just become tolerant between the fourth and the fifth century. You didn't go to sleep just during the sixth. There are people that have lost their first love. They're over-tolerant. They're compromising. They're sleeping. They're taking opportunity for themselves, and they're at best lukewarm. Right now, they fall into almost all of it. Now, the interesting thing is there's two churches that got no rebuke, Smyrna and Philadelphia. They got no rebuke, and we'll get into it, why they got no rebuke. And then there's one church, Laodicea, that didn't get a commendation. Sad. Every single church got a commendation except for them. Yeah, heart-wrenching. So our focus should be on what message God is giving us. You at home, me. You, what is he giving us? And it's very important to listen because if you don't listen and you're too busy using this, you won't hear. So listen because there's a message. This isn't just, this isn't just a message that I threw together to maintain my job so I can keep feeding my family. That's not it. There's a lot of things I could do to feed my family. This is a message from God because Yeshua wrote these letters and Yeshua is Emmanuel. So these are really important, more important than we realize. But I hope now with this introduction, you're realizing, hey, this is important, right? That's the idea. I'm not, I'm not trying to badger the witness. Each of these messages includes a specific word to a specific church, but lessons applicable to the lives of believers, us, today. Timeless, okay? Let's look at the first one, Ephesus. I just gave three verses, and I wasn't going to put the first verse in there, but I wanted you to see, this is their commendation. It says, to the angel of the Messianic community, obviously we're reading from the complete Jewish, in some of the other versions say the church, it's a congregation in Ephesus. Do we have the picture of, of the locales? I just want to give you a little geography, okay? There's Asia Minor, that's Turkey, you'll see it in the little box, and there are the churches. They're really close to each other, and again, they're literal. But the reason why I want you to see this is do you see the proximity to Patmos? Now, do you think Yeshua wrote the letter and gave it to an angel, and then the angel flew and in angelic form grabbed the letter and read it to the congregations? Or do you think maybe the angels, and if you look up that word, are sometimes leaders or rabbis or pastors, and they visited it 
while John was there, and he gave them this message from Yeshua to read to their congregation. Do you think that makes a little bit more sense? Or do you think an angel came down, and, and I've never seen an angel come down and read a letter, but maybe, maybe that's what happened. Maybe. But I'm thinking it's more along the lines of, you know, this was a penal state. John wasn't the only one there. It was like Australia was back in the day for England. There were many criminals on that island. And so they might have had visitation. At any rate, you see the geography. I wanted to see where the proximity is to Patmos. Let's go back to Ephesus and its commendation. He says, to the angel of the Messianic community, the congregation Ephesus, write, here is the message, very important, from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold menorahs. So we know the message is from Yeshua because in Revelation 1, it's Yeshua who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven menorahs, meaning he's walking among the seven congregations. Those the menorahs are, and the seven stars are the leaders of those congregations. Okay? So far, so good? It's from Yeshua, all right? He says, I know you have what you have been doing. I know. John can never write that. How hard you have worked. Now, now listen to this, guys. This is only a couple of sentences. How hard you have worked, how you have persevered, and how you can't stand wicked people. So you tested those who call themselves emissaries, apostles, but aren't. And you found them to be liars. You are persevering and you have suffered for my sake without growing weary. Now, let me just say this. If I got those two lines directly from Yeshua, if he was to come down right now and say those words to me, I'd be in my glory. I don't know about you. But if Yeshua said, hey, Greg, I know how hard, I know what you've been doing, and I know how hard you've worked, and how you have persevered, and how you can't stand wicked people. By the way, some people say we should love wicked people. No. No, 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 not exactly. You don't, he's talking about love what they do. Of course, we should love all people, but not what they do. So you tested those who called themselves, oh, how dare you, Rabbi, you have no right to test. Oh, no? How am I going to discern? You think I have a crystal ball? Oh, show me if this person should work with the children. Show me if this person should teach. How else am I going to discern? You make too quick of a decision. You go, oh, the Lord told me, did he? And then why did it blow up? Why did the Lord tell you this, and now next week he told you this, and then a year later, well, he told me this. He told me to stay here three years. Now he told me to leave in two. Are you sure you're hearing from him? you got to watch people. you got to watch people. And you found them to be lies. You, you are persevering, and you have suffered for my sake without growing weary. If he said this to me, I'd be like, wow, wow. Does it get any better? No, no. Now, Ephesus was a, a wild place. These places in Asia Minor were not making Georgia. It wasn't where, you know, people go to private schools and they go to Chick-fil-A and they go to choir practice on Wednesday. And, and it's not like that, okay? Did you know about Ephesus, where it was? I showed you it was on the western coast of Asia Minor. But the city was famous for its temple of Diana, or you'll read in your Bible, Artemis. And pilgrims came to Ephesus from all over the Mediterranean to worship the goddess. It was a hub for pagan worship. So do you know what it was like to be a believer in Ephesus in that day? You lost your life. Not like here. Here it's like, woo, honk if you love Jesus. What church do you go to? Guys, you gotta, you got to understand who this was written to and what was going on. It was rough being a believer in Ephesus. You took your life in your hands. And he's commending them. Yeshua affirms the Ephesians' positive actions. That's what he does first. He doesn't attack he, he tells them what they're doing right. 
You got to start with a commendation. You just can't attack. Can't sit there and tell somebody all that they're doing bad. But if there's something going on and you don't tell them that, that's not good either. He commended them for their doctrinal vigilance. Doctrinal vigilance. Now, I just want you to know, some people think they're doctrinally so vigilant and they think their theology is so great, but theologians are a different level, okay? But okay, he commends them for their doctrinal vigilance. He commends them for their endurance as well as their plentiful works. So they understand doctrine. They understand the ways of God, the teachings of God, and they also have the works. They got the goods, man. And they enjoy trial and adversity with patience. Not only do they have doctrinal vigilance, not only they, they, they are, have plentiful works, but they're being persecuted and they're staying the course. It doesn't get better. I don't, I don't know what kind of better believer you're looking for, but this is, this is it. The Ephesian congregation was a hard-working group of believers full of fortitude, strong. Also, to their credit, they were gatekeepers of the truth, and they did not compromise with evildoers. But, oh, come on. How could there be a but? you got to be kidding me. But Yeshua notes their shortcoming. One verse, the next verse, look at it. This is the rebuke. I have this against you. Oh, man. Rabbi, where do I go from here? You deal with it. That's where you go. You have lost the love you had at first. The fire of their affection had died down. The once glowing enthusiasm of its early days had disappeared. Anybody relating? Their warm, full, and free love for Messiah had waned. They were hardworking for sure. Oh, they worked hard. But they no longer had the same passion for Messiah like when they first believed. I think the righteous brothers said it best, huh? They lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. And there's a lot of believers today. Some not even, not even working hard. Some not even doctrinally vigilant. They're, they're, we'll find them in another church. That's really messed up. See, your motivation is off. Maybe it's to make a name for yourself. Maybe it's to prove your righteousness. Maybe it's to show everybody, look at me. Look at what a great believer I am. That should never be your motivation. Ever, never, ever. I ask myself, if you just want to know honestly, I ask myself all the time, Lord, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for your great name? Am I doing this for your glory? Because it's easy to point. No, it's easy to go like this and finish and go, I can do that too. I can go, it's all about him. I can say that. I can also say I love you. I can say that. It's easy. I can say that all day long to burn. Three words, one syllable, not hard. Now he gives a solution because Yeshua would never rebuke without a solution. When I used to sit in business meetings and everybody used to just tell me what was wrong, I was like, I'd leave. Where are you going? You just tell me everything that's wrong. Do you have a solution or did you just come in to complain? Do you know people like this? They tell you everything that's wrong, but they have no solution. Before you speak to me about something's wrong, come up with a solution. Okay? Otherwise, all you're doing is bickering and backbiting and causing difficulty for me. That's all you're doing. Rabbi, I just want to make your life easier. Well, you're not. You're not. Give me a solution. Yeshua is giving them a solution. Look, he says, therefore, remember where you were before you fell. One sentence. Turn from your sin and do what you used to do before. Easy, right? Easy. He's not saying it's over. He's not saying, you know what? You lost that love and feeling, so we're done. I'm moving on. I'm going to find somebody else. It's quits. Let's get a divorce. He's not saying that. He would never say that. He's too beautiful. He's too beautiful, man. Yeshua is calling the Ephesians to repent. Now, just to give you a heads up, every solution to every problem in these seven churches 
they needed to repent. Repent is an ugly word today. It's old school. It's old school. Nobody wants to hear it. Rabbi, I want to hear it. I know. Good for you. You're the best. All six of you. Listen to me. People don't want to hear it anymore. They want to hear, they want, I know, you know. They just want to hear good stuff. Everything's going to be okay. Isaiah, the prophet of all prophets in 740 BC, the children of Israel, the children of Israel, they were just a few generations from the Davidic dynasty. They told this prophet, they said, we know you're a man of God, and we know you hear from God, but speak to us illusions. Chapter 30, lie to us. It says in the book of Daniel 11, chapter, that the Antichrist, the Antichrist, and believe me, the stage is set beautifully for a false Messiah to come and say, I have the answers. It's, it's no more beautiful than it's ever been right now. Perfect setup out there. The Bible says that he would come with smooth talk, smooth talk, flatter. Oh, you're so... So the word repentance is like an ugly word. It's like an old school word. Seriously, it's like going back to like, Rabbi, are you kidding me? You still have a flip phone? What does your phone do? Does it, does it make a call? So does mine. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm trying to say? But yet, this is timeless. They needed to remember and repent. Not just remember, remember where they were, and then change their mind about where they are and where they need to be. It starts here. Remember, we did the whole mind makeover. We went through it. We went through it. You know, it's not a dissertation. It's no doctorate paper, but we went through it. You got to change here before you change this. Before you change your walk, you got to change this. Not this. This and this is very similar. They're interchangeable. Change your thinking, and then you change your walk. You just don't go, well, I need to go on a diet. Why? I need to lose weight. You've you got to change this. This has to become a mindset before you change this. It has to be a mindset. So you're saying change your mind, and then return back to your loving, devoted service. They just needed to be revived. They just needed some CPR. That's all Yeshua is doing here. He's like, CPR, come, please, repent. Come, please, repent. And then breathe the breath of life in them. Come, please, repent. Come. That's all it takes. And it doesn't take weeks or months or years. It's instantaneous. That's the beauty of God. But everybody else, everything takes so long. And then he gives a warning, which is important. Like he gave them a solution. He gave them the commendation, the rebuke. He gave them the solution, but now there's a warning. Look at the warning. It says, otherwise, like if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your menorah from its place if you don't turn from your sin. Guys, this isn't pretty. This isn't just, well, we won't be as close as we used to be. No, no, no. He's speaking about impending judgment. This is the book of Revelation. He's coming back to judge. And he's saying that if they didn't repent, there will be judgment. He was basically saying he would destroy their fellowship. What? Destroy their fellowship? That's crazy. How do you read it? Go home and study it and tell me what you come up with. I'd be more than happy to hear from you. The message to Ephesus, I don't know if we can relate to it. It's simple. The message is simple. All these messages are simple. It's all too easy to fall prey to a cold, mechanical, religious observance. It's easy for me. It's easy for you. It's easy for anyone. No one is immune. No one. And I'm probably the furthest thing from the immunity because it's so easy to get caught up in the church, in the work, in the ministry, and not get caught up in Messiah. It's easier for me than any of you all. How's that? I gave you the southern version. Easier for me than any of you. Because with all the busyness, the funerals, and the, and the weddings, and the teachings, 
and the ministering and the overseas and all of it, yes, it happens to every pastor. Most of them fall prey to an Ephesian lifestyle. They work hard. They are, they are intolerant to evil. They are doctrinally vigilant. Here's the message. Like the Ephesians, and hear me, there are many who tend to focus solely on doctrinal purity and hard work to the exclusion of true love for Messiah. I especially meet them in the Messianic world because they come here after traveling, and now they found it, right? And they get so into the Jewish roots, and they become so intelligent because they go to Wikipedia University for 20 minutes a day, and they have it, right? They're doctrinally pure. And there are other denominations that think their doctrine is pure, and it's not. There's no Baptist, there's no First Assembly, there's no Methodist, there's no Messianic. Nobody's doctrine is 100% pure. No amount of zeal for the truth or moral virtue can replace a heart full of love for Messiah, period. Should you have zeal for the truth? Yes, I'm not saying one to the exclusion of other. Stop letting good compete with good. Yes, we should have zeal for the truth. And yes, we should shoot for moral virtue. But if you're doing these things to the exclusion of being in love with Messiah, you are Ephesian and you're missing the boat. Okay? Let's move on. Let's try another one. Smyrna. Here's the commendation. To the angel of the Messianic community in Smyrna, write, here is the message from the first and the last who died and came alive again. Clearly a reference to Messiah, right? He always existed and will always exist. It speaks of his eternality. He's eternal. That's what it means to be Alpha and Omega. He was here from the beginning, before there was anything, and he'll be here when there's nothing. He always was, is, and will be. This is a reference to Yeshua. Again, I just want you to understand, these letters are coming from Yeshua. These letters are coming from Yeshua. I know how you are suffering. Again, his omniscience. And how poor you are though in fact you are rich. And I know the insults. Some of you, this is going to be very encouraging to you. And I know the insults of those who call themselves Jews but aren't. See? I didn't make this up, guys. This was from the first century. There were people running around calling themselves Jews when they weren't. It's dangerous. I see a lot of wacky packs. Listen, we attract wacky packs. Yes, we do. We do. We attract people a little off-center, and they think this is cool. But I'm not going to go for off-center. I'm going for center. And if you're off-center, I'm going to pull you back. And if it doesn't work, and this isn't right for you, it's okay. There's plenty of off-center places to attend, especially in the Messianic world. You're more than welcome to have a good time there. It's no problem. No love lost. But I'm going to keep it in the fullness of the grace and the fullness of the truth, just the way Yeshua wants it. On the contrary, they are a synagogue of the adversary, a synagogue of Satan. So Smyrna was a large, important city on the western coast of Asia Minor, like where I showed you. They were famed for its schools of medicine and science. Brilliant, affluent people. They were also known for their temple to the mother goddess and its imperial cult temple to Tiberius. So again, you're talking about pagan. When they say Gentile back in the first day, they're not talking about a non-Jew. They're talking about pagans, massive pagans. It was a beautiful city with paved streets, a library, a gymnasium. Sound familiar? We got a gym, we got a library, we got beautiful roads, and a shrine to Homer. People that are affluent usually have a lot, you know? I'm not saying country clubs are bad, but they go to country clubs, and they do this, and they do that. They're affluent, and they enjoy what? The good life, and nothing's too good for them. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's too good for them. This is the way Jesus would want it. Here's the commendation. I gave you the commendation. So Yeshua begins by commending them for their suffering. They are suffering. They are suffering. They are suffering. Everybody in the first century suffered. Also, although they were in physical poverty, so these were people that didn't have it. 
Why? Why weren't they affluent? Because as soon as they believed, they kicked them out. They kicked them out of the country club. They kicked them out of the gym. They kicked them out of the library. They couldn't work. They couldn't eat. They were terrorizing them. You follow? So although they were, in, they were rich, some of you might be in, you're not wealthy. Even though if you compared yourself to, to my friends in India, you're, you're, you're filthy rich. But nevertheless, for America, maybe you're not wealthy. But he's saying, take heart. You have spiritual wealth that no one could take away from you. You're storing up treasures in heaven where rust and moth can't destroy. You're fulfilling what Yeshua said. And look at Revelation 2.10 here, the second verse, the next verse. I'm sorry. You got it? No, we don't have it? How come? Okay. You're supposed to have it. Go back. Must have disappeared. I'll read it. You got your Bibles at home. You could turn to it. It says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the adversary is going to have some of you thrown in prison in order to put you to the test, and you will face an ordeal for 10 days. Remain faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your crown. The synagogue of the adversary, or Satan, is, con is concerned. There are a couple of views, okay? There's a couple of views. One is that they were a group of Gentiles who called themselves Jews, but instead of following Judaism, they worshiped the emperor of Rome and spoke out against the believers in Smyrna. I don't buy that one. Another view is that the synagogue of the adversary was a group of Jewish people who followed traditions, yet in reality they did not know God, as well as they rejected Yeshua as the Messiah. That's the one I take. That's the one I take. Because I don't care how Jewish you are. Messiah is the only one that can forgive you of your sins. At any rate, they were encouraged to remain faithful until death. Hallelujah. They are suffering, struggling, and they're pressing on. This is a very special congregation. Why? Because their rebuke was what? None. Wow. I want to be part of that congregation. And we might just have a chance. I don't know. I'm not a prognosticator, but you'd be foolhardy not to think that suffering might come. You'd be foolhardy to just go, nah, it's not going to happen. So I, I, I want to be part of Smyrna. I'd love to get no rebuke from Yeshua. I'd love to. The message for Smyrna is simple. We are called to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow Yeshua. This was not just something for the first century believers. This is for any century believer. This is for believers for all time, not once upon a time. Well, once upon a time, son, sit down. Once upon a time, there was a believer in the first century. And that believer in the first century, he was persecuted for his faith, just for believing. Nothing he was doing. He was a good guy. He loved people. He helped people. He just worshiped this God that they hated. And because of it, they persecuted him. And they took his livelihood from him. He had no way to feed himself. They beat him. They ostracized him. They then put him in a horrific prison, not like we have today. No. And then they killed him. Gee, Daddy, I'm glad that we don't have to go through any of that. Yeah, some people still do around the world, son. Really, Daddy? Really? Because when we go to church, we have the best time. We just have so much fun. It's so much fun. Might change. Pergamum, Revelation 2, 12 through 13. Pergamum was a beautiful city, artsy, artsy, art-filled in the province of Asia, built along true tributaries of the Caicos River. Pergamum was the center for the worship of Dionysus, Zeus, and other pagan gods. Again, it's the same MO, guys. Beautiful cities, affluent, right? Giving the gods their due, I'm going to benefit. Here's the commendation. To the angel of the Messianic community in Pergamum, right? 
Here's the message from who? The one who has the sharp double-edged sword. Double-edged sword is what? The word of God. Who is the word of God? Yeshua. What does he use a sharp double-edged sword for? To judge. Here it is. It's Yeshua again. I know where you are living. Omniscience. There where the adversary's throne is. Yet, yet in spite of where you're living, like Daniel in Babylon, in spite of it, you are holding on to my name. Hallelujah. You did not deny trusting me, even at a time when my faithful witness Antipas was put to death in your town, there where the adversary lives. Okay, Pergamum was the Asian headquarters, the Asia Minor headquarters for the cult of the emperor worship. Hence, it was called the place of Satan's throne. Yet Yeshua commends the believers for their steadfast love and faithfulness. In spite of the surrounding paganism, the congregation had remained faithful to Messiah. What a beautiful crew. The Pergamum believers lived in a difficult place, guys, yet they held fast to Yeshua's name and did not deny him during difficult times. Antipas, a fictional character? Of course not. Think Yeshua's making somebody up? Think he's being figurative? No. We have writings about Antipas. He was a physician in Pergamum, and he was suspected of secretly propagating the faith. So he was sentenced to death. He was placed inside a copper bull, what they worshipped, and the bull was then heated over a fire until it was red hot. The congregation, though, was not perfect, and Yeshua took note of their sin. Look at the rebuke. You would think, what could, what could he rebuke? Nevertheless, even though you're persevering through suffering, massive suffering, I have a few things against you. You have some people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, Balaam who taught Balak, the king of Peor, to set a trap for the people of Israel so they would eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and commit sexual sin. Likewise, you too have people who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. He's rebuking them. Because they, even though, even though some of them were allowing men of evil doctrine, a.k.a. false teaching, to continue in the fellowship. Why? I don't know. Maybe they had clout. Maybe they were rich. Maybe they were tithing. I don't know. I don't want to. I, I know that's almost, I shouldn't even said that, right? I'm just grabbing at straws. I don't know why they allowed men, certain men in the congregation. They were doing so well. What's the teaching of Balaam? He sanctioned eating food sacrificed to idols and sexual immorality. He knew how to get to the people. Bring in the dancing girls. They'll fall. The dancing girls came in. Israel fell. The Nicolaitans, people claim they don't know who they are. I, I, I don't know about that. First of all, the word means destruction of my people. How would you like to be called destruction of my people? Not good. They taught that spiritual liberty, you can look them up and find out a lot about that, but spiritual liberty gave sufficient leeway to practice idolatry and immorality. It's not really you who's doing it. It's bizarre. They didn't adhere to the ways of God at all. They didn't adhere to the laws of God. They were nailed. You're free. It's just your flesh doing it, man. Let your flesh have its fling. It's no problem. That's not your spirit. Yeah, they were wacky, but don't people fall for wacky doctrine? Don't we have tons of cults still in America? And people still infiltrated with cult-like thinking? Just look at the Masons, man. What's the solution? Same old, same old. Come on, Yeshua. Come up with something new, man. This is getting trite. Same thing? Repent? That's all you can say? If they did, they would expel the evil teachers from their midst. It's not enough to confess it. Yes, we allowed some. No, that's confession. All that does is bring you to the door of repentance. Make a move. Change your mind and make a move. Do something. He gives them a warning. He says, otherwise, it's, very, it's actually very beautiful. He's saying, look, this is what you need to do if you want to fix it. This is what you're doing great. This is where you're off. This is how you can fix it. But if you don't, there's consequences. Something that doesn't happen that often in our society, right? 
Otherwise, I will come to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this, it's just a few sentences. How did he get so much meat in four sentences? There's books written on subjects, books, and people read them and read them. And I'm like, four sentences. He gave them a commendation. He gave them their rebuke, the solution, and a warning, and then ends on a blessing, ends on a high note. Starts on a high note, ends on a high note. Beautiful. Just, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm amazed. Forget about, like, why do I worship him? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I know, I know his father was God. I know he's the God man. I know, but still, he was in this flesh, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Amazed. I am amazed at the way he said things and did things. Amazed how he can use one line or two lines or tell a little parable that could be so simple and yet so utterly profound. He's the answer. Otherwise, I will come very soon. Now, now this, was, this was a while ago. It hasn't come yet. But in his economy, it's soon. A day is like a thousand years. Guys, you're here. If you live to 80, you're here for an hour and a half on an eternal scale. And I'm not making that up. It's a little algebraic equation. Not difficult to do. And make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Yeshua's warning that the Nicolaitans and those teachings of Balaam's error would be destroyed along with their followers. He's coming for them. He's gunning for them. But if you adhere to them, you're going down with them. You're going down with them. The message is simple. Again, Yeshua desires purity among his people. Therefore, we have a responsibility to remove false teachers from the congregation. Let me do one more. Can I? Just one more. And then we'll do five, six, seven next week. We'll get it done. I appreciate it. Just one more. I'll go fast. Thyatira, okay? My fast and your fast might be different. That's why you like your phones, because you want to get a a two-minute inbox message. It's just not the way it works. Thyatira, commendation, okay? Thyatira, again, was a wealthy town. It was right on the Lycus River. Guys, these were all wealthy places, but I want you to take note of something. Where are they today? It was a wealthy town on the Lycus River, of course. Where do you see all the towns in the United States of America now, making a comeback. They're all being rehabilitated. What do you notice? There's always a river that runs through it. That's why Macon is so, it's incredible. I just got back from Memphis. Memphis is, you know, it was a cotton town. It fell apart, but Memphis is gorgeous. The architecture is Macon on steroids. It's unreal. I mean, the people there are like, yeah, it's okay. No, it's beautiful. Right on the Mississippi River, it's got, and there's a guy I heard for just in New York that uh, he just put a billion dollars into it. He's investing in it. It's, 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 it's got incredible architecture. I stayed at a hotel. It's the number one historic hotel in the United States of America. I just sat there and went, people can't do that anymore. First of all, they don't take pride in their work. They just want to get it done. We'll just get it done. Oh, it's good enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let's just get it done. It's good enough. What's the big deal? It's fine. It's good. It works. I wouldn't put my name to anything like that. God forbid I ever go, ah, this message, it's fine. It'll work. Let me know if you ever think it's fine because I'll quit. Okay, let me know, because that's when I got to get out. Its identity was found economically, economically, with the guilds dealing in metals and fabrics. Wealthy, guilds celebrated, but guilds celebrated their patron deities. Guilds celebrated their patron deities in periodic festivals. So believers were tempted. Well, if I want to make money, I got to go with a guild. Do I got to celebrate their festivals? Well, I'm not, I'm just dressing the kid up and he's just getting candy. I'm not celebrating Halloween. No, you're celebrating Halloween. No, 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 no. But I'm not, no, no. You're attaching yourself. Detach completely. 
So here's their commendation to the angel of the Messianic community in Thyatira, right? Here's the message from the Son of God, right? That's a no-brainer. Well, this is Yeshua, man, whose eyes are like a fiery flame. They speak of piercing vision and whose feet are like burnished brass. That speaks of judgment, man, threatened judgment. I know what you are doing, omniscience, your love, trust, service, and perseverance. What? What? And I know that you are doing more than before. What? What a commendation. What a commendation. Yeshua gives them five positive qualities. He says, you got good works. You got good love. You got good faith. You got good patience, endurance, and you got good service. Who wouldn't want to hear that from Yeshua? That's why, guys, be careful of how, how much you think you've arrived. Because you're not even close to these suffering saints. And they still got rebuked. You're not even close. They're suffering. They're dying. They're starving. All lives are what? I'm not saying that you should die and suffer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be careful. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. We're coming back together. This message is pertinent. We're coming back together. We need to come back together to a place of unity and harmony and humility and serving one another. I'd rather have 100 people come back who have that mindset than the 450, 500 people come back without it. I'm not saying the 450 people that don't have that mindset. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't come back. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying give me somebody that I could be in a foxhole with who's got my back, who's not critical and judgmental and divisive and backbiting, and they think they have the answers. You think you have the answer? Then you get up here. Let me hear what the Lord tells you week after week. You fly over to a congregant state and weep over their, over their funeral. Rabbi, you seem fired up. Yes, I am, because I know what's coming, and we're going to need each other. You will not be able to one-up anybody here anymore. No. Do we have a good congregation? Yeah, but make no mistake, we got issues. Look at all these congregations. How good were they? Did they not have issues? Did Yeshua not rebuke them? And they run circles around a, a lot of us. You hear what I'm saying to you guys? This is in the extreme love I'm pleading with you that in these last days we get it together. Not only did they have good works, but they were increasing in quantity. They were increasing. It's not like you used to have good works or you got some. They're increasing. But Yeshua notes their sin. Look at the rebuke. One sentence. How could he pull this off? But I have this against you. One sentence. You know when people sit down and they're trying to reconcile and they talk for 92 hours and you finish and you're still not reconciled? You know what I mean? You walk away and you go, well, what? and you fake it. Okay, we're fine. Look what he can do in a sentence. You continue to tolerate that Isabel woman, that Jezebel, the one who claims to be a prophet, but is teaching and deceiving my servants to commit sexual sin and eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. Oh, what's the big deal? It's just food. Obviously, it's a big deal. It's just a costume and a pumpkin. Obviously, it's a big deal. Who are you to say that it's not a big deal? When Yeshua is saying it is. Impure doctrine had been tolerated in the assembly. With all they were doing, there was impure doctrine. And it resulted in immorality and idolatry. Apparently, there was a false prophetess who was leading believers into compromise. And the church was engaging in immorality and idolatry. It is possible that her real name was Jezebel. It was a popular name. But it's more likely, in my humble opinion, that it was used metaphorically in reference to the Jezebel of the Old Testament, the idolatrous woman who opposed God's ways. Now listen to me. 
How many times have you heard, you guys have been going to church longer than me? She's a Jezebel. She's a Jezebel. She's a Jezebel. She's a Jezebel. You know what I can say? You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Do you know who Jezebel was? Is she leading people against God's ways? Or is she a little controlling? Oh, she's a little controlling. Then call her controlling. Don't call her Jezebel. First of all, there's only one Jezebel, just for the record. Second of all, how many times have you heard generational curse, generational curse, generational curse, generational curse, religious spirit, religious spirit, religious spirit. You don't get cursed by your generation. If you repent and walk with God, you're blessed. There were many kings that were righteous, and they had sons that were unrighteous, and they were cursed. Ezekiel said, so we shuffle for the sins of our fathers? No, it's not the way it works, man. Your father could have been an axe murderer, and you might be a righteous man. And your father could have been a righteous man, and you could end up an axe murderer. God looks at us as individuals because God is good and just and altogether lovely. Man, you want to know why I love him? (laughs) So rather than rebuke this false teacher, the believers in Thyatira were allowing her to continue her deception. She probably, my take is she probably encouraged the believers to join the trade guilds, right? Join the guilds, you know, you got to make money. Even though this involved honoring the guild god or goddess and participating in festivals where food was sacrificed to them. Well, we're not, we're, not really, we're not really involved. We're just eating it because we want to keep our job. I'm sorry, what didn't you understand about denying yourself? I'm picking up your cross and following me when Yeshua said it. She doubtless, doubtless justified this compromise with the world on the ground that it would allegedly advance the cause of the church. This will help if we get involved with the affluent people. Rabbi, if we had some affluent people here, maybe we can get the mayor here, then it would bring us some notoriety. You know who I want notoriety from? The Lord, man. Do I have a problem with the mayor coming? No. Doesn't mean people of notoriety, they can't take a seat here. But I don't care. I'm no respecter of persons. You think I'm going to like you more if you're wealthy? That's sick. That's like satanic. Oh, we want notoriety. We want the applause of heaven. We want the applause of heaven, man. That's what we want. Because if we go for the applause of men, then we received our just reward here on earth. What's the solution? You want to take a guess? Ready? On the count of three. All seven of you. Ready? On the count of three. What's the solution? One, two, three. Go figure. I gave her time to turn from a sin. Turn is, is the same word. You'll see it in a lot of other versions. But she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. So for her and those who are following her, they needed to repent. The warning. Let's look at the warning. 222 to 23, we're almost done, I promise. So I am throwing her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I am throwing into great trouble, unless they turn from the sins connected with what she does, and I will strike her children dead. Not everything happens from Satan. This is Yeshua speaking. Then all the Messianic communities will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you what your deeds deserve. Make no mistake, a, a profession isn't enough. It's just not. So... Yeshua is pronouncing judgment on this Isabel, Jezebel, as well as those who follow her and her teachings. A couple of verses that will be okay. 2.24.25, listen to these two. It says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, those who didn't, to those who do not hold to this teaching, woo, who have not learned what some people call the deep things. Remember what I told you about the Gnostics and the Nicolaitans and the spiritualization? The deep things. Listen, some of you need to get off the, uh, off the submarine and up Periscope. There's people starving out there. You know what I mean? Stop with the deep things. You know, some of you walked in it. You're not walking in it that much anymore. Because I don't push that here. 
But when I first met you, you were so deep, it was like you were lost. No offense, but so deep, so deep. And then you see the beauty and the simplicity of the scriptures and the beauty in loving one another and the beauty in loving God with all your heart and the beauty with helping those who God kind of pushes you to help. There's something beautiful about that life. I envy some of you. Yes, I envy some of you. Not in an ugly way. Not just, but I envy your life. I envy the simplicity of it. You envy me and go, I would like to do that. You wouldn't like to do this. No, it's got to be a calling. It's not pretty. I envy the way some of you work nine to five and you finish your job and you're done. You don't even have to think about it ever. You come home and you're done. You don't have to pick it up till you go back. And you have a simple, quiet life and you spend time with your family. God, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. The message, Thyatira is simple. Satan is the father of lies and the deceiver of the brethren. We must stay alert, especially in these last times and these last days, because it's all too easy to get caught up in the trap. When we come back next week, we'll talk about Sardis. You'll find out why whoever named that exit Sardis Church Road had to either hate believers or they did not know the Bible. We'll talk about Sardis. We'll talk about the great congregation of Philadelphia who had no rebuke like Smyrna. And then we'll talk about, of course, Laodicea, which had no commendation. Very, very, very sad. I'll talk to you a little bit about some of the major problems I see coming on the forefront. I'll talk to you about what Yeshua said about those problems. And we'll just close in a conclusive thought that I think could direct us in the right way. Guys, I struggle with a lot of things. I appreciate your love. A lot of you seem to, you know, care about me and pray for me. And I definitely appreciate that. I know a lot of you online, um, I, get, I get that you're praying for me and I get your letters. And I don't, I don't you know, I, I, I really um, appreciate it from the very bottom of my heart. Just, um, just pray that I finish strong and just pray that I, I, I just complete this course. Uh, if you want to pray for me, that's what you need to pray for me. That's what I would like you to pray for me. Um, when we get back together next week, the seats will be full. Not totally, but with some distancing. Please heed some of my words. Um, let's lock arms and fight together, okay? Um, you're not my enemy and I'm not yours. We have an enemy out there and he doesn't have a social security number. Um, many of you are struggling with different things. Some of you are not struggling, but you will be um, at some point. It's just the way life is. And so we're all in this thing together, okay? Um, there is strength in numbers. Five will chase 100 and 100 will chase 10,000. And so we need to, to, to numerically come together so that we could be exponential in power and that we could bless each other and help each other. You know, I left Memphis and, and you know, everybody leaves Memphis and, and, and Tom is left to go home, to look at the pictures, to try to sort out the clothes and try to figure out how the heck did this happen? You know, Lance's mother passed away. She was everything to her husband, Jim. And Jim is just not doing well. But we, 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 we go on because we're busy too, right? Keep them in your prayers, man. It wouldn't be the end of the world if you just gave them a call and said, I was just thinking about you. You have no idea what it means to them. If I would have told Tom, look, I can't fly right now. I just got tested and Burns getting tested and I just can't. You know what? He would have understood. He would have. But it meant the world to him. And some of our people went. Denise went, and Melody went, and Lindy Filippo went, and Lisa White went. And I'm so happy to see them. 
Was it a hassle to drive six hours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And drive six hours back. But she's only going to die once. And for him, it, was, it meant everything, you know? And so it was one day out of your life, you know? Love means inconvenience. And I'm here to tell you, the greater the inconvenience, the greater the love. We will have an eternity to rest in peace. It will be beautiful. And for some of us, it's, you know, more than needed. But in the meantime, you know, let's keep thinking about each other and keep loving each other and try to be there for each other. I know a lot of you do a great job with it. I know that. I understand. But remember, no man's an island. Okay? Next week, we'll finish this up, and we'll move on to whatever else God has for us. Okay? Let's stand together. You know, if I had half a brain, half a brain, I would preach for 20 minutes. I could get 14 weeks out of this deal. 14 weeks. Wouldn't that be beautiful? 14 weeks, that's like three and a half months. I could be on easy street. But no, I choose not to have half a brain. Hmm. So you might want to look at it again and get something out of it. Just be patient and sit there. I know as I was reading it, I was hearing what the Lord was speaking to me. He was speaking things to me. I don't, you know, I'm not just a Philadelphian, you know. Um, So I'm sure he's speaking to you. Just be open to what the Lord has to say to you. It's not between me and you or you and me. It's between him and you. Always was, always will be. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of all Peace, Yeshua. Shalom. Shabbat shalom, guys.